0: sorry to break the fellowship. If you could please find your hymn books into your seats, please turn your hymn books to 217, please and thank you. 217, my hope is in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thankfully, we can put our hope and trust in him as he has given us his word, his preserved word, and uh, he gave himself for our sins. Amen. All right. My hope is in the Lord. Please stand with me as we sing as loud as we can. And sing praises to our Savior. You give us the love. You give us everything, Lord. Mm. We ask you bless us this this evening. We ask that you uh, help us get the the most out of this uh, service this evening. Mm. And and learn your word, Lord. We ask all these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Please stay standing with me and please turn to 385. It's a little bit of a new one for me, but I believed it was uh, good for the moment. Of today, since we are will be hearing of the Bible and about the King well the Bible, of course, the King James Bible. I thought it'd be best if we did the Bible stands. So my dad, pastor, helped me out, memorized it, tried to get it good. <laughs> I don't have it completely yet, so as long as we all stand oh stand strong and sing loud, I think we'll all work together and we'll do it well. Alright. We will.
1: Like a rock undaunted by the raging storms of time Its pages turn with the truth eternal And they glow with the lights of life The Bible stands though the hills may tumble It will firmly stand when the earth shall of man It's truth by none ever was refuted and destroyed yet they never can. The Bible stands though the hills may tumble. It will firmly stand in the world shall crumble. I will set my feet on this firm fruit. foundation for the Bible. Oh, I will obey the Bible stands though the hills may tumble it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble I will plant my feet on its firm foundation for the Bible stand.
0: Bible will stand, you may be seated. We'll have Pastor come to do announcements.
2: Thank you, Pastor. Yes. All right. I think I was making Elijah nervous. I guess I should have eaten a little less food. I could get deeper breaths to sing those that song out. He kept I think he was glancing at me like, did I do something wrong? No, I was just trying to breathe and sing at the same time. <laughs> My lungs might have a little less space than they did when we first came. I don't know. But uh, that's a blessing. I'm thankful the Bible stands. I'm thankful that we can trust it and that, uh, as we sang, it stands the test of time. And why is that? Because God promised that it would. And I'm thankful that God is true, his promises are true, and that we know that because his word also is true. And uh, thanks for the emphasis. Ding. Is that my timer? Am I supposed to stop talking now? I'm just kidding. All right. (laughs) Uh, so just a couple of quick announcements Uh, of course as you know we got Brother Faggart with us here uh, preaching and teaching this week uh, tonight obviously we know the time remember tomorrow night if you can come prayerfully everyone can come the services are an hour earlier than they were tonight still doing a meal 5 o'clock and then services at 6 so that's tomorrow evening I don't know what's the dinner tomorrow night Goulash. goulash I don't know if you know what goulash is. I am going to find out what goulash is. Uh, it's like a chop soup. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, and the kitchen sink. No, I'm just kidding. So, looking forward to that. We got some bread, there'll be dessert, and all that fun stuff. So, good time. So, if you can come and you need dinner, dinner will be provided, as well as, of course, some good fellowship and then the service tomorrow night. I'm excited about what we've learned so far. I had a great service last night. I've got some notes that I took, and I'm looking forward to what God has for us tonight, what we're going to learn. It was truly a blessing. And I know I said it last night, but I am thankful for the Bible. Thank you for thankful for the Word of God. And uh, I'm thankful that God promised to preserve it. Uh, You know, this has been said before, and Brother Jeff may say this, and I don't think it... Uh, I don't think it'd be a problem to repeat it, but if God, ins- what would be the point of inspiration if we didn't have preservation? What is the value of God inspiring his word if he's not going to preserve it and keep it pure for the next generation? He may as well not have inspired it, because if we don't have it beyond that original copy, well then, what's the point? We don't have it. So, God inspired it. It's still inspired. It's as inspired as it was from the beginning right there in that King James Bible, and I'm thankful for that. So uh, I'd encourage you to keep coming, keep learning. If you, got, if you can, keep notes. I know maybe you have a hard time paying attention and writing at the same time. Uh, I definitely am not mastered that skill, probably why I didn't stay in school. But uh, if you can, uh, take some notes, and then it gives you something to review later on. And, and remember, they are live-streamed on Facebook. You can go back and watch them. Uh, later on if you want to or re-listen. I know some folks listened from uh, Cornerstone, my brother's church, last night that were just in this conference with Brother Jeff earlier in the week, and one of them posted, praise the Lord, I learned some new stuff tonight. Well, they just heard a lot of the conference earlier in the week, but there's more to learn. Believe me, there is so much to learn, so much information. And The point of this conference is to help us to understand uh, how we got our Bibles. Uh, But I believe that this is the word of God by faith. This just helps strengthen that faith.
1: That's
0: the
2: purpose of it, just to help strengthen our faith and uh, help us have more confidence. But I'll stop talking now. Caleb, you come on up. And can you pray for the offering, bud? Yes, sir.
0: God, uh, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Uh, please help Pastor Fabrier to deliver a good message today, Lord. Um, please um, bless our hearts, Lord, with what we um, you have helped and prepared tonight, Lord. And um, please bless the offering, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: your hymn books to one twenty-four. One twenty-four. Set my soul on fire. No, a fire. A fire. <laughs> I only thought it was that way. Like, Set my soul off fire. Right? That sounds better. That's good. A fire, Yes. What is it again? Oh yeah, right, right, I got it. A fire! Huh, I never knew that. I always saw was set my soul on fire, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's like if you light a wick, you're not like setting the wick on fire, but it is
1: facilitating
0: fire. Hmm, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. We'll just do
1: two verses. One and two. Send my soul on fire.
0: For singing. Thank you very much. Alright, we have a special. Alright, so <clears throat> ask the, we the. have a special All of us up here? Yep. Alright, so Paul and Magdalene, Elizabeth, and Caleb are singing up here.
1: man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scars. 10 yeah.
2: pray that was a blessing to you. I'm thankful that Christ's wounds have paid my ransom and that because of the sacrifice he made, I can spend eternity in heaven one day with him. And uh, I'm thankful for that. Thankful for Jesus Christ. Thankful for my savior. And I'm thankful for his word because that's how I found out about him. So I'm going to have brother Jeff come. I don't want to take up any more of your time. You come and preach and I'm going to, again, feel free to take your coat off,
3: I (laughs) know. Thank you, preacher. Turn with me in God's word to the book of Acts, chapter 11. It's good to see you this evening. Thanks for making it out to the meeting house. Thank you. For the delicious supper. Now, I don't know how you have it here in in Maine, but in North Carolina we have breakfast, dinner, and then supper. So in the Bible, they they broke their fast, they dined, and they supped. They never lunched. And so, um, but the food was delicious. It really was, and thank you so much for it. I appreciate the hospitality. And was able to visit with the pastor and his sons today over dinner. And uh, it was good. We had a good time. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Lord, it is good to be here with the saints tonight. I need your help to preach and to teach. And Lord, may we all hear from thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, the end of the verse says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Here we find that those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ were given a new name. Previously in scripture they were referred to as the Way, and now they're called Christians. They would not have called themselves Christians. It was a name that was given to them, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So as it was then, so it has been throughout the centuries of Christianity that the true believers were called by names which they did not choose for themselves. Those names were often names of reproach. Every old Baptist group, beginning with the second century uh, Montanist, were called Anabaptists. They accused us of being rebaptizers. We do not rebaptize, we only baptize believers. And it doesn't matter how much water has been applied previously, if they didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior when they get saved, they must submit themselves to believers' baptism, and that's the first real baptism. But all of those groups were called by names uh, and were given names by their enemies. It's still the same today. Uh, You look in uh, Roman Catholic doctrine, and they still call you Anabaptist. We're not, but that's what they say. Right. Often terms of reproach, but uh, this is not just an example, a, a foretaste of how Baptists would be treated as far as what they were called across the years, but the location is significant. We touched on it a little bit last evening, but the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And we mentioned that as far as the Greek text that underlies your King James Bible, it is known as an Antiochian, a Syrian, or a Byzantine-type text. Antioch being the town, Syria being the country, and Byzantium would be the empire. So that's what you have in the New Testament of King James Bible. And everywhere that you would find the true believers, you'd find the true Bibles. And we talked about the different languages, world languages, in which the Bible was was originally given. And when you talk about the the Hebrew, of course, you know we're talking about the Jews. When you talk about the Greek, it's first century, and the New Testament is given in Greek. And there was now we'll just we'll just mention this briefly. It might help someone who is watching, perhaps. Uh, you as well, but there's always talk of a Septuagint. And uh, that is supposedly a translation of the Old Testament into Greek. And uh, that never existed. <laughs> never existed. In fact, it may never have existed at all, but it certainly did not exist during Old Testament times. The Jews would not have done that, undertaken that on their own. So, uh, Anytime somebody mentions a Septuagint, and it's usually mentioned to undermine faith, the faith in the Word of God, right. whenever they mention it, you can just make a mental note, I need to dismiss that. That's not going to help me any at all. And whenever you find uh, these true believers, you're going to find the true line of manuscripts. There in the Eastern Empire, the Paulicians. They copied the word of God by hand and distributed that and God used them and they copied those old Syriac Bibles. And that was one of the major languages into which the Bible was translated. Over in the Western Empire, you find that groups like the Donatist and the Albigenses, they copied those old Latin Bibles, again, by hand, no printing press, and they distributed them. So everywhere you have the true believers... You will also find the right line of manuscripts, the line that underlies your King James Bible. But location—the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. There are other locations of which you ought to beware when uh, be aware when talking about that's like a fire and on fire. So uh, beware and be aware. It's different, but two other locations. And those two locations are known for those who were not the true believers and those who corrupted the, the manuscripts. Yeah. And remember, uh, the scripture does tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17, in the first century of Christianity, what's happening? 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. Mm. But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. The apostle Paul understood, even in that first century, that there were already people who were trying to corrupt the word of God. Well, where does that come from? Satan, he's behind it. He tried to do it over there in the garden, right. and uh, he's tried to do it ever since. Right. But you have then two lines of manuscripts, and that's what we're going to be basically talking about tonight You've got the correct line, and you've got the corrupt line. And we'll show you how 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 17 was actually put into practice. So we've mentioned the location of Antioch. First time the disciples were called Christians were there. The origination of the manuscripts that underlie your King James Bible originated there. And then another location is Rome. Rome. Now, Rome in the history of Christianity is known for persecutions, traditions, and adding to the Word of God. Certainly, you can think of John the Apostle, who was persecuted by Rome, placed on the Isle of Patmos because of his belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was a Christian. Uh, Rome, of course, during that 400 what they call silent years between uh, the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament, they said that God did not speak. That's not true. God spoke to his people through his word that he had already given. What's meant by that is that God did not uh, give any scripture during that time. Uh, So uh, because religious people, Pharisees, uh, thought that God should be giving his people something, they thought, we'll make it up ourselves. And that's where you get the Apocrypha. And Rome is known for adding to the Word of God. Adding to the Word of God. And you look over there in Mark, book of Mark, chapter 7. And here's an example of that. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking during his earthly ministry. This is after that supposed 400 years of silence when uh, the Jewish Pharisees and religious people were busily writing their traditions, their traditions. And the Bible says in verse 1, Mark chapter 7, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, Mm -hmm. as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Mm -hmm. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. So the Roman Empire taking taking uh, control of the Greek empire that had been assembled by Alexander the Great. Now, during that time, the Apocrypha is put forth as tradition. The King James translators, when they translated the King James Bible, included the Apocrypha. It was there in 1611. Now, the Roman Catholics would intersperse the Apocryphal books between the books of the Old Testament, and included as part of Scripture. They still do. But when the King James translators made their translation, they removed those apocryphal books, and they're fables. That's what the word means. And you know what, what the Scripture says about fables. But they removed them out of the Old Testament and put them between the Old Testament and New Testament and said that these are not part of the canon of Scripture. They're not Scripture. In fact, if if you look at the Apocrypha, you've got different events happening, or the same events happening in different ways at different places at various times. And you know that can't be true. On the other hand, when you talk about the canon of Scripture, you've got the Old Testament quoted over 300 times in the New Testament giving verification of the fact that Jesus and the apostles knew that that was scripture. Not one time is the Apocrypha ever quoted. Not one time. And when you think then of uh, the Old Testament prophecy about things that would happen in New Testament times and beyond, not one time is the Apocrypha ever referenced or used. Mm -hmm. So uh, it does not give... uh, testimony to itself in any of the Old or New Testament. Right. But the Apocrypha, what we're talking about, under the Roman influence and Roman government, uh, it is added to the Word of God. Right. And uh, that's what you have. You've got a, a location, Antioch, from whence the Word of God came and was spread. And uh, you've got Rome then, a people who are known, an empire that's known for adding to the Word of God. And by the way, We talk about pagan Rome, the empire, and we talk about papal Rome. Those are the Roman Catholics, and they still are doing that today because when you talk about Roman Catholicism, they have three authorities to which they submit, their version of the scriptures, the traditions of their institution, and the word of the Pope, all three on an equal level of authority. It's not that way with Baptists, and you say, well, should we compare ourselves with ourselves? We're just telling you how it is they believe and how it is we believe. We do not put anything alongside of the Word of God. Amen. We have not as a Baptist people and we never should. It's the Word of God that is the authority. Amen. So Rome, known for adding to the Word of God. And then there's Alexandria. Alexandria is known for their learning, for faulty scholarship and subtracting from the Word of God taken away from the Word of God. And look with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22 and verse 23. Here's an example of that very thing. Matthew 22, verse 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees would say there, that there is no resurrection and ask him, Sadducees, Jews, they didn't believe in a resurrection. You turn on over to Acts chapter 23, Acts 23, verses 7 and 8. You can see that that's taken a step further. Acts 23, verses 7 and 8. When he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. You say, well, how? How could they say such a thing when the scriptures plainly teach that there is a resurrection, that there are angels and that there are spirits? Well, it's because they do not believe that the word of God is true. And they believe that their traditions are just as authoritative as the word of God. So if you're going to believe that, then you can make up whatever you want to believe. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people do today. Mm -hmm. If I can't find in the Bible what I want to believe, I'll just make something up. Mm -hmm. And they usually make up something that pleases uh, themselves. Mm -hmm. And so we look over into uh, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, and... Verse 15. And here's something you'll only find in a King James Bible. Here's a command to study. Your other Bible versions will remove this one reference to studying the scriptures. But in your Bible, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun. Profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth, you know what the truth is, it's the word of God, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection at all. And here you've got two who were teaching that the resurrection is past already. And the result was that it overthrew the faith of some. Mm-hmm. And so the Alexandrians are taken away from the Word of God. And here in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 17 it talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. And they taught that the resurrection was was past already. Yes, we believe in it, but it's already happened. And uh, there, there is a very well-known teaching called praetorism, preterism, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-M, preterism, which means past fulfillment, that uh, things have already taken place just like this. We don't mind you talking about a resurrection, Hymenaeus or Philetus might say, but as long as you tell people it's already happened. Well, if it's already happened, then you and I have nothing to look forward to. And if you could convince someone of that, then what's going to happen? You're going to overthrow their faith, as folks. There is a resurrection coming Amen. for the saints, and there's a resurrection coming for those who are the unbelievers. Two resurrections are still in the future. Roman Catholicism teaches that all of the Book of Revelation has been fulfilled. All of it. <laughs> well. How has all of that been fulfilled? We must have, the world must have missed something, and it must not have recorded whenever you have those giant hailstones falling and the, and the earthquakes and the fire and the wrath of God being poured out and wormwood hitting the earth. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. That's in the future. But preterism—that's a result of the Alexandrians who take away from the word of God. Now look with me in the book of Acts, chapter 28. Acts, chapter 28. And we're going to examine the two lines of manuscripts tonight, but we want to make sure you get all the background. Acts, chapter 28, verse 11. The Bible says, And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Now remember, we talked about Alexandria being one of the locations that attacks the word of God. The way they attack it is to subtract from it. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. So in this one text, uh, within a few verses, you've got Alexandria, the place that's known for taking away from the Word of God, and Rome, the place that's known for adding to the Word of God. And every time in your King James Bible, and I think it's three times that it happens, when somebody gets on a ship of Alexandria, their destination is always Rome. That's the same way today you've got two lines of manuscripts, the, cor- the correct line of manuscripts that originated there in Antioch, and you've got the corrupt line of manuscripts that originated in Rome and Alexandria. And whenever someone gets an Alexandrian Bible today, modern Bible versions, the result will be they'll wind up in Rome. That's, that's the intent of it all. And uh, all the children will come home to mother. That's what Roman Catholicism teaches. Mm -hmm. And so we see the different lines of manuscripts. You've got the correct line, and as far as the original languages, again, not original manuscripts. Uh, They perished with the using, and that's the idea. Uh, Some of you are old enough Christians that you no longer are using the Bible that you used when you first got saved. Uh, you've worn out a couple of Bibles, uh, maybe a lot, and that's a good thing right. uh, because you're studying the Scriptures and you're learning, and that's the way it was with those original manuscripts. They existed when God uh, first gave the Scripture, but they were used, mm-hmm. and they were read, and they were passed around to the different churches and read. The Bible teaches us that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's good that people study the Scriptures. Amen now we talked about the original languages uh, hebrew aramaic and greek in which the bible was first given we talked about some of those major languages that had the word of god translated uh, into them and those would have been syriac latin uh, german and then english and of course when we talk about uh, those old latin bibles uh, the waldensians people of the valleys and the people of the mountains who lived there in Italy and France, people to whom the Apostle Paul first carried the gospel, those people were Bible believers. They refused to give up their Bibles Mm -hmm. even when Roman Catholicism marched crusades uh, to uh, those valleys and demanded that they surrender. They would not. And uh, they would talk with them before they attacked. And the papal legates would say, listen, uh, you have to surrender uh, yourselves to us. You have to surrender your Bibles and your meeting houses to the Pope. And uh, they say, we will not, because we believe the Scripture. And the Scripture is our authority, not the Pope. And they'd march an army, sometimes half a million men into those mountains and valleys to put the Waldensian people to death. Your ancient Baptist ancestors, but they would not surrender the scriptures. And uh, they would fight, and God would bless. So they had the right Bibles, and they weren't going to give them up. They were willing to fight for it. And then we we've talked about John Wycliffe first man who translated the scriptures into English, a manuscript, handwritten, 1382, and the effect that it had. A group called the Lollards grew up around uh, his uh, translation and copied the scriptures and distributed them, and they were persecuted unmercifully for it, uh, treated uh, m- and maligned uh, in the worst of ways. But then William Tyndale, in his English Bible, the first printed Bible, 1525 and miles coverdale the next english bible 1535 working and completing the tyndale bible in 1537 thomas matthews he had his english translation that was set forth also uh, the name john rogers thomas matthews interchangeable uh, but the great bible we mentioned that as well, that large Bible that was chained to the pulpit and the people could read it, but they couldn't have a copy on their own. Then the Geneva Bible, an English translation that took place in Geneva, a place where John Calvin had started Presbyterianism. After that, then, and the reason why, there's a, there is a big movement today among various groups to try and push people away from the King James to the Geneva Bible, saying that this was the Bible that the pilgrims brought to America. This is the Bible that made America. No, it's not. It was the King James Bible. You can go to the Pilgrim Hall Museum there in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and, yeah, they have some Geneva Bibles that the pilgrims brought with them. But what all of this crowd today, and they're Calvinists, that's who they are, what they're trying to to get you to do is to embrace Calvinism. That's why they want you to go with the Geneva Bible that has marginal notes in favor of infant baptism and in favor of Calvinistic practices. And they want you to deny the King James Bible. And by the way, the Geneva Bible couldn't stand. It was was from the right line of manuscripts. But when the King James Bible came out, the Geneva Bible ceased. It ceased to be printed. There was no demand for it. And the King James Bible had no marginal notes uh, to reflect any kind of bias, like the Geneva Bible did. And so, um, you there at the Pilgrim Hall Museum, you can see the King James Bible that was brought by uh, the leader of the pilgrims, John Alden. They don't tell you that, but that's the purpose of this meeting tonight, so you can learn some of those things. But the Bishop's Bible... Was the next one 1568 is when it was released and then the King James Bible of 1604 to 1611 and God has used that King James Bible ever since. You think about it, the great awakening that took place in Europe and in America, what were they using? King James Bible. What was Jonathan Edwards? Now, we wouldn't agree with Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield on their theology concerning baptism, but we are thankful they were preaching from the right book.
2: Yeah.
3: And George Whitfield was preaching something that his own church didn't believe in preaching. He was preaching, you must be born again. He was telling that to those people who had been sprinkled in infancy and taught that water was sufficient to cleanse them from their sins and make them part of the, the kingdom of God. And yet he's preaching to them, you must be born again. And they said, George, why do you preach you must be born again? He said, because you must be born again. And it's not an option if you're not saved, you must be born again. And uh, this Bible, King James Bible, uh, it was used to birth the modern missionary movement. William Carey, that's what he had was a King James Bible. There, he's known as the father of modern missions. Uh, your hymn writers, uh, most of the hymn writers, if not all of those old hymn writers, uh, learned what they did in order to write hymn from a King James Bible. Yeah. The churches, we mentioned already uh, that here in Maine, every Pioneer Baptists that came here, not some, but every one of them was carrying a King James Bible, bar none. And literally, this King James Bible founded America, brought the colonies together in the cause for independence, saw thousands upon thousands and thousands of churches planted and men called to preach, People learning the word of God when children, uh, the number of Bible verses memorized by the children in the 16th, 17, 1800s here in America, they learn from a King James Bible. Yeah. And uh, the effects that this book has had upon the world will never be surpassed. Mm-hmm. And it's not finished. Right. Mm-hmm. It's still, there's still more to come. So that's from the correct line of manuscripts. It had its beginning in Syria, Antioch of Syria. The corrupt line of manuscripts. Rome adding to the word of God, Alexandria subtracting from the word of God. There in Alexandria you had at um, at that place, Alexandria, Egypt, you had Origen. Now, I don't know what I don't know what it is about Origin that seems to attract professors in Bible colleges, but they seem to love him. The man was a heretic. He was he was as bad as they come because of what he taught. He taught that creation was not true. As the Bible tells it, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 placed doubt upon. And he taught that there was no hell. He taught that stars were, were angels. On and on and on you could go of the, of the corrupt things that that man taught. And he's the one who is responsible for pushing this corrupt line of manuscripts. That's where it started. It was started with the devil, but. As far as mankind is concerned, he used origin. And uh, you've got then the manuscripts that he worked on. And uh, as a result of his labors, Eusebius came after him. He copied those things. They are turning out corrupt versions of the scriptures. They're taking what's true and they're corrupting it. And... uh, Three major manuscripts uh, were set forth in those early days of Christianity that were corrupt. They were corrupt. Those manuscripts, Codex Sinaiticus, Codex Vaticanus, and Codex Alexandrinus. Codex, C-O-D-E-X, is a word for book. And uh, so uh, Sinaiticus, now turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. give you an idea of how far this extends. By the way, Codex Sinaiticus was found in a trash can in a monastery on Mount Sinai. And part of it was rescued, and that's, that's what the modern Bible versions use as a basis for their translation. Mm-hmm. Codex Vaticanus, you can pretty much guess where that one is, was located and steel. Housed, that's in the Vatican, uh, Roman Catholicism. The Codex Alexandrinus came from Alexandria. Uh, Sinaiticus, 330 AD. Vaticanus, around 340 AD. And Alexandrinus dated around 425 AD. So in Mark chapter 16, I don't know whether you have a Scofield Bible or not, uh, Schofield does um, a pretty good job with m- many of his notes, but there are some that are wrong mm-hmm. and some that are suspect. And here's a place where it's wrong. And he writes this, Schofield does, as a note to Mark chapter 16, verse 9. He says this, the passage from verse 9 to the end is not found in the two most ancient manuscripts, the Sinaitic and Vatican and others have it with partial omissions and variations. But it is quoted by Irenaeus and Hippolytus in the second or third century. So, Schofield introduces doubt concerning the text there in Mark chapter 16, when he says the two oldest do not have it. Now, he was just a product of the scholarship of his day. He didn't come up with that on his own. He learned it from someone else. And... The truth of the matter is, now there are about 6,000 manuscripts in existence, extant, as they call it, and uh, portions and complete manuscripts of books of uh, the Old and New Testament, and about 6,000. Now, 620 of them concern themselves with Mark chapter 16. And 620 of them, they'll have some portion of this chapter in the book of Mark. What Schofield didn't tell you is that uh, besides the two of the 620 that do not have, now those are corrupt manuscripts, Mm -hmm. that do not have uh, the last 12 verses of the book of Mark, that 618 of them do. Now, how's that for a, a percentage? why not major on which one has the most instead of the two corrupt ones that don't have them at all? Mm -hmm. And so you don't need to know any of this manuscript evidence to love, appreciate, believe, and enjoy your King James Bible. You don't need a bit of it. But when you begin to learn a little bit of this evidence, you're able to, when you hear someone trying to corrupt your Bible, and trying to destroy your faith or someone else's faith in the Bible, at least maybe you'll say, uh, I've heard about that. And uh, you're not going to fool me. Right. You know, I was not born yesterday. And that's the idea, uh, partly, behind doing a King James meeting, is that while you couldn't have probably any more faith in your Bible than you do, you might be able to defend mm. your Bible right. a little better. And uh, that's a good thing. Yes, sir. So uh, these corrupt uh, manuscripts that we've mentioned, the two oldest, doesn't matter about age. While the oldest manuscripts have perished, yeah. you're about somebody talking about, let's go back to the originals. Mm-hmm. They can't go back to the originals. No. You look at many church articles of faith and they talk about the scriptures they say we believe that the scriptures are the inspired word of god and here comes three little words gotta keep in mind in the originals which are not in existence anywhere on the face of the earth haven't been for centuries and centuries and so how do they know it's inspired in the originals if they don't have a copy of it Because they believe that that's what the scripture about inspiration is concerning. Just the originals. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, whenever God gave Moses those Ten Commandments there on Mount Sinai, said he wrote them with his finger on those tablets. Was that the original? Of course it was. Now, we know that the original original is, is Forever settled in heaven. We know that. But as far as what came onto this earth, that was the original manuscript written on stone. Moses goes down the mountain and the children of Israel already corrupted themselves. And they sat down to eat and drink. They rose up to play. And he was so angry that he took those tablets, took the originals, cast them down, break them.
1: The
3: originals were gone. Yeah. Now, what does that do with somebody who says God only inspired the scripture in the originals? Well, the author is still alive.
2: Right. Right. Amen. And so what
3: did the author say? I'll get you two more tablets, bring them back up there, and I'll, I'll write them again as I did before. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. Was the copy inspired? Amen. Yes, it was. Was a copy from God? Yes, yeah. it sure was. And... Uh, we need to know that. Old and original means nothing except they're old and those were the original. Mm-hmm. But things that were older were used and they were worn out. probably tells you that this, these three books, Alexandrinus, Vaticanus, and Sinaiticus, the reason they were preserved is they were never used. Right. The only thing that that uh, Sinaiticus was used for was to light a fire and warn some monk on, in a monastery <laughs> until somebody pulled it out of the wastebasket. And uh, those manuscripts with some others were used by Jerome, Roman Catholic, to produce a Latin Bible. Keep in mind, the... The Donatists, other Christians there in North Africa, they are going to copy and spread the word of God. And those old Latin Bibles will come into existence by 157 AD. And uh, people are spreading those Bibles around the world. This is the Bible of the Waldensians and the Albigensians and uh, the Donatists and the others. And so Jerome now, is going to do what Satan has always done and what the Bible corruptors have always tried to do. They're not going to try at that point to destroy all those Latin Bibles. They're going to introduce a corrupt Latin Bible. Mm -hmm. And so Jerome introduces his translation known as the Latin Vulgate. In the corrupt line of manuscripts, uh, he is going to, to do that around 400 A.D. And from that point on, all of your Roman Catholic versions rest upon Jerome's Latin Vulgate. And not only the Roman Catholic, but when you get to 1881, there in England, you've got the revised version, and that was produced. The two most well-known people associated with that corrupt version were Westcott Hort and, and uh, they wanted to have it to supplant the King James Bible. They hated the King James Bible. Why do people hate it? Because of its authority. Because it is the accepted book uh, as the word of God and people do not like to have one authority. They have to have more than one. Now, Baptist, we have the book. Again, you know, Rome has three authorities. The Methodists have their version of the Scriptures and the Book of Discipline. The Lutherans have their version of the Scripture and the Lutheran Book of Worship. Presbyterians have their version of the Scriptures and the Westminster Confession of Faith. Church of England has their version of the Scriptures and the Book of Common Prayer. It's not that way with the Baptists. We don't have another book to go alongside the Word of God to to tell us what we believe and what we practice and why. So they like that. The Pentecostals. They have a a dual authority as well. Their version of the scriptures and their experience. Why, I know that angel I saw in my bedroom was real. (laughs) It was just such a peaceful sight. That right there tells you they're lying. Why, because anytime in scripture, anyone sees an angel, they're afraid immediately. An angel has to say, fear not. So... But they like experience. They have to base what they believe on their experience. And very often you'll hear them say, I know what I experienced. I don't care what the Bible says. Amazing. Well, we do care what the Bible says. And uh, we believe it. Uh, You've got the... The American Standard, the Americans didn't wait long before they followed suit and said, we're going to release our our own version of the scriptures. And so in 1901, the American Standard version was released. And uh, you can go on up to 1952. We're skipping, son, because there have been hundreds and hundreds of modern Bible versions from uh, the corrupt line of manuscripts. But we're skipping some of them. 1952. The version known as the Revised Standard Version, put out by the National Council of Churches, was released. And beyond that, you've got the New World Translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, 1961. And then you've got the New King James of 1982, all of them translations from the corrupt line of manuscripts. And it's interesting that every time the word Lord appears in your Bible in the Old Testament, the Jehovah's Witnesses translate that as Jehovah every time. Now, of the times that the word Jehovah appears in the Old Testament of your Bible, the New King James translates it Lord. So they take Jehovah away, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Russellites, they, uh, they replace, replace the word Lord with Jehovah. And uh, you've got that in the New American Standard, 1971, and it's interesting; they're always looking for something new. Well, you got the American Standard, 1901, and then you come up with the New American Standard. So, a uh, new, 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 and we'll see more about that tomorrow night. But then you've got the Living Bible. It's a paraphrase by Ken Taylor. It Was put out in 1971, and uh, then the New Revi or the New Revised Standard in 1990. As we already mentioned, New King James, 1982. The New King James, of course, they said, all we are going to do is replace the these and the thous. Those pronouns, uh, why that people just can't understand, and we're just going to replace that. And by the way, you cannot understand your Bible correctly without those pronouns. Right? It's an impossibility to do so. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that uh, maybe on the Lord's Day but New King James, we're we're just going to replace those pronouns. Well, When you get in the habit of thinking you're smart enough to replace any part of God's word, where do you stop? They certainly didn't. There are over 13,000 less words in a New King James than in the King James Bible. Over 13,000 less words. It's not a New King James. It's just another corrupt modern translation from the wrong line the corrupt line of manuscripts and so has nothing it doesn't at all resemble uh, the king james bible the new international is put out in 1978 new international version uh, the today's english version 1976 and it continues on and on one of the more popular ones of the day is the english standard version and that's the calvinist production the Holman Christian Standard Bible, that's the production of the Southern Baptist. And why would they spend millions and millions? Why would any of these people spend millions and millions of dollars on putting out a new Bible translation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this right here. Money. Yep. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Right. That's what the Bible says, First, 1 Timothy 6.10. It's money. Because they intend on making a profit for themselves and for their Mm -hmm. investors. And that's, it just boils down to money. Mm -hmm. And when you've got another proof of that, your King James Bible is not copyrighted. Right. Anyone can print it and distribute it. In fact, it is still. It is the most published book in the history of the world, Mm -hmm. as it is. It is the most published book year after year in the United States. Yeah. No book outsells this Bible. In fact, there are more copies. You, you can look at that bestsellers list uh, all you want to, and there is nothing—not one book on that best-selling list, regardless of how many copies it sells—that can match. The number of King James Bibles that are printed and given away every year, and much less what's sold at a bookstore. Hey. But why there's no copyright on it? We can do that. And praise the churches ought to do that. Right. It's, that's a good thing, and it's a right thing. Now, on the other hand, all, not some, all right. of uh, the modern versions are copyrighted. Why? They have to be by U.S. copyright law. U.S. copyright law says that there must be at least a 17% difference in the content of a new work from an existing work. So it's got to be at least 17% different uh, among themselves and with the King James. And you know what they always say? Why we value the King James, you can find it in almost every preface of every modern version, they're going to say something about the King James, how much they appreciate uh, what's been done with it over the years. And it's got a beauty and its language, but language changes. And so we need to do away with the archaic and we need to release a new version that's more up to date so we can make more money. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, your Bible is not out of date. No. Mm-hmm. As we already said, it's the most readable of all of all the bible versions rated on a fifth grade reading level and uh, we're grateful for this bible i hope that um i hope that tonight's message has been a help to you and an encouragement be glad to answer any questions afterwards preacher so let me ask you a question
2: are you satisfied with a Bible that is 83% accurate?
1: Because
2: <laughs> if copyright law says it has to be 17% different than the other Bibles, then that means it's 83% the same, or can be up to 83% the same. That's not good enough for me. I'll take 100% every day. Over eight, I'll take 100% over 99%. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: You know, somebody said years ago that rat poison is 99.7 or 99% good food, but it's that 10th of a percent or 1% that'll kill you. And that's kind of like the way I feel about the Bible. I'll take 100% because then I can confidently trust that what I'm reading is the truth and that if there's something for me to learn in it, what I'm learning is right. But if there's 1%, a tenth of a percent, seventeen percent, whatever the percent might be, that's not right, and I'm I'm going to be led astray. My faith is going to be weakened. I was talking with Brother Jeff a little bit earlier today, and we, you know, Rome. Well, actually, if we go way back, Genesis. What did Satan ask Eve in the garden? Yea, hath God said? God had said, "If you eat of the tree." you shall surely die. What did Satan do? He weasels his way in, slithers his way in, and he he posed a question. Yea, hath God said. You know what Rome has done throughout history? They have tried to keep the Bible out of the hands of the common man, because then they can control us. They can tell us what we ought to believe. Now they can't as successfully, at least here in the United States and in other free countries, they can as successfully as they have in the past, been able to keep the Bibles out of the hands of the common man. And let me say this, it's always been Satan. He's the one that doesn't want the Bible in the hands of the common man. So now what do they do? Well, a better rendition of what the Bible says would be this translation over here. Well, if you go back to the Greek or you go back to the Hebrew, what does that do every time someone says that? It causes me to say, oh, wait, I can't, under, I can't understand what God is saying from the Bible I hold in my hand. I have to go back to a different language that I don't understand. So I've got to trust this guy over here who has studied the Greek and Hebrew to tell me what the Bible means. Because I don't have the time nor the intellect to be able to go and study and learn Greek and Hebrew. And can I tell you something? The experts who study Greek and Hebrew can't speak to you in it. So are they really experts if they can't actually communicate in those languages? They're dead languages. No one speaks them anymore. No one really understands them or really is an expert in the languages. They don't exist. They're dead. They're not really going back to the originals. We have the original right there. The inspired preserved word of God in our King James Bible. And I, I believe that wholeheartedly and i I'm, I'm so passionate about it i believe i would die for that book right there because it is god's word and he has supernaturally providentially inspired and preserved it throughout the centuries because he wants you and i to have it and he has promised to keep it for us and my heart's desire is that all of us if we don't already by the time this week is over will know beyond a shadow of a doubt we'll be so convinced Not just from the teaching, but uh, in the history, but from the word of God and the spirit of God. We will be so convinced that that right there is his word that we will never have to question again. If somebody says, well, if you go to the Greek, you know, what? take the Greek and you throw it in the trash heap where the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus were found. That's where it belongs because we have the word of God preserved in my language. I don't need something else. I don't need it. We don't need it because we have his word. Why? Because he wants us to have it. You know why he wants us to have it? Because he wants us to know him. How do we know him? From the word that he's given and preserved. Don't doubt it. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to doubt. Yea, hath God said? Is what it says in your King James Bible really true? Yeah, it is. I 100% believe it is. I pray we all do. All right, let's go ahead and pray. It's been good I, I hope that you're enjoying what we're learning I, I pray i've been praying for this week i pray we're learning much and that we're being helped by it and uh, i'm looking forward to tomorrow night hearing some more so good stuff brother jeff do you do a do you do, you do during the week a showing some different tomorrow, tomorrow? okay so tomorrow night he's going to share with us some verses that it said what it says in the King James and then what it says in some of the other translation. And I will tell you, you're going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked. If you haven't already looked at this stuff, you'll be shocked. And he has the pamphlets in there. If you want one, let me know. I'll buy it for you. I think it's that important that we know. They're only a couple bucks. So don't, I'm not spending a hundred bucks on each person. They're only a couple bucks, but I'll buy them. I, I think it's that valuable and that important. Uh, and I know it's not like I'm spending thousands of dollars, but
3: you don't have to spend anything we're just
2: gonna spend. Okay. Well you don't all right. Well you don't have to do that. We can we can take care of it, but you'll get one tomorrow night if you're here. How's that? And uh it'll be a help to you. It'll be a help to you. And uh it's important this is important stuff. So yes. I won't keep going. I'll pray. We'll dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the great preaching and teaching, thank you for what we've learned already these last two nights i pray father that you would help us to get rested tonight help us have a good day tomorrow and to come back in the evening ready to learn ready to be challenged ready to be instructed and i pray to have our faith increased as we see uh, lord the differences between the the translations if you will really we see the differences between your preserved word and the corrupt, the corrupted word. Lord, we have the correct and we have the corrupt. And I pray as we see the differences tomorrow, it will only help to increase our, our confidence, really our faith in the truth. Lord, I pray you do it. Give us safety tonight. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for each one who's here this evening. And I look forward to what it is that you are going to do uh, throughout the remainder of the week. Father, we love you. We love your word. Thank you for giving it to us and preserving it for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.